Ag State of Mind, Episode 7. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows, and today is a special day for us here on the show. It's the first time we have a repeat guest. For those of you who have been following the podcast, first of all, thank you. And second of all, you'll recognize today's guest. He was our episode one guest, Dr. Val Farmer, a clinical psychologist who specializes in rural mental health and mental health with agriculture and farmers and ranchers, we spend a bit of time talking to him about how today's agriculture climate, the trade, the weather, the issues that are affecting today's farmers and ranchers, how they are similar and maybe how they're also different to those during the ag crisis of the 80s when Val did so much great work in dealing and helping people through those times. So I'm excited to talk to him about that today. We also get to hear actually extensively, more extensively than I was planning about his trip to Israel. So it's uh, it was a very interesting conversation for me. I hope you all will find it as interesting as I did. And before we get to our conversation with Val, I would like for anyone who has not yet to go over to Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you may get your podcast. And please leave us a review, subscribe. We like our reviews because that gets us out in front of a broader audience. And, uh, you know, we love five-star reviews, but just if leaving us a review would uh, would be great. And also, I want to remind everyone that our main website podcast page has moved. We are over on the globalagnetwork.com. Now you should be able to find us under the podcast providers page. Um, so please go over and check us out on the all the various avenues on the internet and on your web players. So without any further ado, this is my second recording with Dr. Val Farmer. Hello, Val. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Oh, just great. Just got back from a wonderful trip to Israel, and I know this isn't the time or place to visit about that, but I was thoroughly pleased with the, the experience of going over there. No, I do. Actually, I do want to talk to you about it a little bit. I, I'm very interested, and I think other folks will be too, because it's such a it's such an intriguing part of the world that I would love to hear about it. Well, just briefly, there's of so course. much, so much to say. Um, I guess what my uh, first impression is that uh, there's a visual memory that I have now that that brings the reality of what happened there more into my mind and and uh, deepens my understanding of of history and the and the life of Jesus Christ and the Jewish people and the cultures that are there, the re- three religions that are there. I saw a lot of the biblical sites uh, connected with Christ's life and also some of the uh, 
Muslim mosques and, and the religious worship of the Jewish people. I had special experiences with a group I was traveling with where we had uh, recounted some of the episodes in the Bible regarding uh, Christ's ministry at the sites where they took place. And uh, so it was very powerful to hear the words and to see the setting where they took place and understand what Israel is like, how big it is, what the terrain, the uh, the vegetation, everything about it just was uh, very powerful. Yeah, it's there's just so much history there. You know, like you said, it's the it's the center point for three major world religions, and uh, you know, there's there's so much history, so much has went on over there, and it's such an intriguing place to think about visiting. And you know, there's just I'd have to say, I'll have to ask, is it is it a little bit overwhelming when you're there just to think about everything that happened over in that part of the world so long ago? It's it's overwhelming to consider everything uh, because there's so much there. I, I took pictures. I listened. I, I learned the current politics of uh, the Israel, Israel and the uh, Arab world and uh, the restoration of Israel as a, as a state. And I saw a lot of Jewish rituals uh, taking place while I was there. It was, it was completely educational and spiritual to be in that country and to, to understand the foundation of a lot of things that are happening in the world today. Yeah, there's a lot of contentious issues happening over there right now. It's, uh, I think when you think about this kind of stuff that is going on over there right now, it makes you feel a little bit more uh, satisfied with the life that you have in America. <laughs> At least when I think about it, I, I know that's that's how, how I feel. I was curious, too, uh, and we visited uh, Jordan and, the country, and uh, Petra, mm-hmm. which is one of the top archaeological sites in the world, and, and we heard an Arabian uh, or a Jordanian perspective on Israel and, and Jerusalem and the two countries living side by side peacefully and, and, and uh, heard their side of issues, and they don't have much uh, sympathy for the Palestinians. But there are certain parts of the Arab world that are using the Palestinians politically. Jordan wants to keep peace with uh, Israel and, they, and peace with their neighbors. And they consider Islam a peaceful religion. And, and the person that explained all this to us was saying how violent jihad, jihad means defense of the country or defense of your family, a defender, uh, jihad, uh, killing innocent people, either either Jewish or infidels or Muslims, is uh, completely against the Quran, and that they don't consider the terrorists uh, Muslim uh, because they're not following the religion and they're really violating the one of the top principles of of the peace that Islam is supposed to bring. Huh, that's really interesting to. To think of it from that perspective that, you know, I think when we think of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, we think of Jewish people versus versus Muslim people. And I guess to an extent that that's true, but it's not a universal thing is kind of what you're saying. It's it's just a, kind of a local thing. Like the Jordanian Muslims don't, don't share that sentiment. 
Egypt and and uh, Jordan have made peace with Israel, but the uh, there's a subgroup of uh, Saudi Arabians that follow a, a real fundamentalist perspective, and and they were kind of behind the attack, 2001 attack, and then the Iranians are or the Persians or the Shiites are against Israel, and and uh, the Arab world is more divided than you think when it comes to, to Israel. There's hmm. parts of the Saudis that have that really are cooperating and and uh, see how Israel is benefiting their country and vice versa. And but the impulse towards terrorism is alive in many parts of the Middle East also. And I also learned how border walls work and how effective they are. The Israel has really instituted tough border security everywhere, and they the only penetration or violation of the peace that they have there is from the Gaza and uh, and other all the other parts of the country are are smooth and there's no terrorism because they they have a tough police force and a tough border and they their military is is ready to work if there's any problems and 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 uh, the arabs and the and the palestinians that live inside of israel don't bother violence because the the, the retribution is swift and certain right uh, and, uh, but the gaza strip is is the, the place and they have extra they they they're extra vigilant in that area because they have created a peaceful israel inside their borders that's a very interesting perspective um you know it it's a hot button issue. It's, content, you know, very contentious. But, you know, to be able for you to see that from a firsthand experience, can, can you know, we should all be so lucky to be able to look at it from the way that you are able to see it and see how the people over there are living and see how the people are affected by these laws and by these attitudes. You know, I'm sure you kind of came back with a whole new perspective, and that's very valuable. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how much of a perspective I had. I knew, I knew generally I was supportive of Israel, but I didn't know the nitty gritty of of how how they were. They, I we got a good course on Israeli history and how they were promised this territory by the United Nations, and then soon after Israel became a country, they they went back and took half of the country back and gave it to Jordan and. And the and the uh, Jordan got the main religious site, the the wall of the temple, and and it was a religious site for the Arab world also. And but the 1967 war was started by Syria and Egypt attacking on Yom Kippur, mm-hmm. and and the Israelis were unprepared because that was their Sabbath, of the most holy day of the year. But once they figured out that they were being attacked, they retaliated and, and won, and there were something like five nations, Arab nations, fighting them. And uh, Israel took back the West Bank uh, of the Jordan River, and it's mm-hmm. uh, within their boundaries now, and they, they claim it as their territory. The Palestinians claim it. But the Palestinians that are inside of the West Bank have to live peacefully. There's Arab communities that there's some parts of Israel where the Arabs and the uh, Israelis mix and uh, live peacefully. And then there's a kind of like an Arab section of, of Israel where 
They live in Arab communities and they have their own economy and they blend in with the main economy. Uh, and the Israeli kibbutzes and, and settlements on the West Bank are thriving and independent and they, 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 they kind of live by side by side. The Israelis come up with all of this uh, desert technology for farming and uh, state of the art in a, in a desert land for, for growing crops. And then the uh, some of the Palestinians or, or Arabs that live mm -hmm. inside of Israel borrow their technology and some of the communi Arab communities are successful and doing well and others just uh, are living their old traditions or their old style of, of technology and, and they, they suffer uh, a lower level of economy than the main uh, Israeli society, which is prosperous and on a par with uh, anything we have in the United States. It's a, it's a first world country in, on, on one side of the Jordan River and then on the other side, the agriculture is thriving, and it's, it's thriving mainly because of the Israelis that live over there. That's really interesting. You know, it's uh, to think that agriculture can survive in such a seemingly arid place is, uh, you know, really speaks to the advances that we've made in, in ag technology. Uh, that's, you know, that's really, really amazing. They grow uh, date palms uh, under under greenhouse conditions until they get to a certain level, and then they continue to to uh, feed these date date palms with drip technology and other mm -hmm. technologies. And they they the Israelis have, have mastered uh, desalinization of the Mediterranean water, mm -hmm. and the, and they they use water from the Mediterranean to to fertilize and and water their crops and. And they use phosphate from the Dead Sea as a, a main ingredient for, for fertilizer. fertilizer. And, and then they yeah. export this to other countries. Uh, they're making the most of their resources. Yeah, I guess so. To, you know, just to think about the, you know, desalinizing the, uh, the ocean, the seawater. Am I, am I hearing that right? They're using, using that for irrigation? I, I'm not sure. I think they must be using it for irrigation. They need the technology to get water in their country, and, and they're, they're managing their water just fine. Wow, that's really some, sounds like some real cutting-edge stuff that's going on over there. Um, wow. I think Israel is on the cutting edge of some things, and, and, and uh, this, this type of irrigation, they, they may be the top in the world. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I... Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to talk to some people. I'm. I'm glad you brought that up. I might talk to some people who are maybe e even more involved in that. Um, my friend Tim Hamrich has the Future of Agriculture podcast, and uh, you know that sounds like something that would be right up his alley to discuss. And he'd be very well equipped to discuss that with someone. So I'll have to mention that to him because uh, you know that's that can be that could be a real game changer. So one, one but, more comment on this before uh -huh. we go on to something else. But uh, Israel is covered with greenhouses and, and they grow their crops under greenhouse conditions. And, mm -hmm. and then they do have some open fields up in the Golan Heights and there's some fertile valleys. Uh, but uh, I would say just guessing that 90 percent of their agriculture is, is controlled greenhouse agriculture, but it's extensive like acres and acres and acres of greenhouses uh, and uh, with irrigation systems uh, 
as a part of it. And they, they, they provide a lot of their own fruits and vegetables for their own country. And I don't know how much of an export market they have. So anyway, uh, oh, and they, they took the Golan Heights back from Syria in 1967. So the Syrians can't attack them from the Golan Heights. And, mm-hmm. and they turned the top of the Golan Heights into a, a wonderful uh, agriculture area where there's crops there where there never was in the history of the of the land when it was under Syrian uh, uh, control, so uh, it's just it, everywhere you see agriculture is flourishing, and 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 it may be an, an interesting place for people to visit. They have agricultural tours of of Israel for farmers and people that are, that are interested in in how things grow there. Yeah, that's really interesting. I gosh, I would love to see that someday. Um, I think. Anybody involved in agriculture would, and I guess you just, you have to work with what you've got, and, you know, it sounds like uh, they're doing a pretty outstanding job of it over there from what you described, so yeah, I uh, I really appreciate you sharing your experience of being over there in that part of the world. Um, I, for one, love love talking about that stuff, but uh, I could probably talk a long time, but I, I do want to get on to our, to our discussed topic of we're going to talk a little bit about the current ag market and how it's similar to what happened in in maybe the 80s and the 90s and how we can deal with it. You know, I mean, obviously, when financial stresses hit, our emotions and our our mental health are at risk. And I want to talk to you a little bit. I want to get your perspective since you've had so much experience dealing with this about how things are similar now and, uh, you know, what can we do to make sure some of the things that happened in the 80s don't happen to us? Well, I think uh, conservative uh, financial management is part of the the game no matter what era you live in, whether it's the, the Depression era of our history or the 1980s or, or some of the agricultural uh, tra- uh, globalization issues and weather change or whatever whatever it is, I think the farmers that survive it have uh, conservative management with debt, that they, they don't extend themselves into uh, debt situations that they can't uh, service. And, and, they're, and they're cagey about when to expand. Uh, they expand during down years or or uh, but that's tricky too there's a there's a lot of uh, savvy and know-how that that go into uh, gauging the markets marketing is a part of agriculture and and you, you, in order to be uh, in modern agriculture the, the skill of, of marketing and being on top of the markets and and, it, and you still have to know it's risky but but the better you are at marketing and taking uh, conservative marketing positions and, and, and so forth. And then the other, the other aspect is uh, uh, knowing when to cut back and economize and you can tighten your belt during down years and, uh, and you get by and, and you have, keep your hope and your optimism up for, for the good years that are to come. And and then uh, there's a, the aspect of not living beyond your means, not having expensive hobbies or, or toys or the the new pickup or the fanciest uh, equipment. Uh, your pride can suck you into problems in agriculture, 
uh, or trying to have an impression or image in the ag community. And and if you're not letting your pride get in the way, you can be smart during some downtime years. And and then I think um, personal relationships are important. The openness you are about w- with your own feelings and being able to admit problems or confusion and, and to listen to feedback and to consult with uh, experts and advisors and, and to your spouse and getting emotional support. The people that verbalize their feelings and have, have don't mind sharing their, their weakness or their confusion or their, their pain uh, when it's happening are the ones that are getting good advice and they, they turn into uh, good uh, problem solvers once they start uh, getting the problem outside of themselves. And so people that, that manage stress also have a larger perspective on life. They understand that work isn't everything and that the farm isn't everything. And, and they are able to uh, know that they themselves are valuable and, and, and uh, have skills that, that will help them survive no matter what. And that the, there's other things that are more important than than the financial problem that's staring them in the face. And, and so uh, their, their own uh, comfort with living a, a balanced lifestyle and, a, and a, a life that goes beyond the farm gives them that extra edge during down years that, that, that they know that the farm pro- they can get away from the farm problems in their own mind because they, they have other things that give them satisfaction and comfort. And they know that there's, there's more to life than just the pressures of the current day. I, that's yeah, probably it, off the top of my head, and I could go on and on. I'll, I'll let you chip in too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's well. I think I think a big thing about it is living in a free market society. We are going to have ups and downs of the market. That's just that's just the way it goes. It's the law of supply and demand. Um, you know, capitalism has been you know, the most successful economic system in the history of man. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that there are not going to be some lean times because, you know, it, it, it has to correct itself. So it's not like these things are, are unpredictable. Um, they're inevitable just because that's just the way, you know, that's just the way it works. So it's like you say, we have to be careful when the times are really good because, you know, one day it's going to come back around and we have to be preparing for those bad times when the good times are here. That way, the bad we have something put away for the bad times. And uh, another thing I, I think is is key here is, and you touched on this a little bit when, you know, you're talking about not wanting to have the fanciest toys, fanciest equipment, all the stuff that's not necessarily needed to have a successful farming or ranching business. And I think a big part of that is getting other people out of the picture, you know, making sure that you're making decisions based on what is best for you and best for your family and not worry about what the neighbors think, you know, listen to the bankers if you must, but don't let them in have have so much power on you like you said watch their your debt load and also you know don't necessarily buy things for the tax implications because that can get you you know if you go too far into that that can get you into trouble as well and uh you know i think i think it all boils down to 
having a set of core values. And if you make all your business decisions, all your farm decisions, all your family decisions based on a set of core values, then you can kind of buffer yourself from getting in trouble. Well, I I think you just echoed a lot of what I just said. It it sounds like uh, you, even though you're much younger than I am, you, you know the big picture stuff in agriculture. And that's that's really important. You said a couple of things that kind of triggered me. Um, the, the one about the uh, relationship with the lender, that that you honest, open communication and having having plans in place and, and doing some solid thinking and then uh, and then sharing the, the, your thoughts in a confident manner uh, really goes a long way. And uh, a lot of people get into trouble. Uh, during down years when they start uh, thinking they can get further by avoiding the lender and, and keeping the lender in the dark or not having confidence that or even enough knowledge about what's going on on your farm is a, is a big uh, trouble spot. And the other thing that, that I think you mentioned right off the bat is that uh, I had a, a conversation with a man who had a career with Cargill and he offered his perspective on why farmers get into trouble. He said that uh, they love their farm so much uh, that they plow everything back into the farm, and that is their their big investment, and, and they don't diversify their investments. They, they uh, And the farmers that can ride out tough times have some liquidity that they can use, and, and whether it's a stock market or, or other investments, but they – they don't put all their eggs in that one basket and then and keep on building their empire, their farming empire. But they they have something in reserve for for the tough times and 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 then they can ride out the tough times better because they have um, they don't have the the jeopardy that the farmer has when on when the bank has uh, all their equity tied up in one spot. It um, also helps with the family too when you have um, liquidity in in your assets that you can make better estate planning decisions and and have a better family operation and and then have a a, a business environment where the best decision wins and you you mentioned that a minute ago and that really caught my attention because uh, family business meetings and having having a good family business meeting, inviting everybody's opinion and and the ground rules for a good family uh, business is uh, that the best decision wins, the best business decision wins, and that the discussion has to be free and open enough so that the best business decision wins out and everybody supports it. And it's a consensus thing. And if you value everyone's situation and you groom your successors and, the, and your farm workers to to also care about the best business decision winning, then you've got everybody pulling together to make sure the business is there when you need it to be there. So how do you, you know, it's a family thing and it's a, you know, there's so much tied up into these family farms, so much legacy, so much history. How do so you, much emotion. How do keep, yeah. How do you keep the feelings out of it when you're trying to run a business when there are so many feelings involved? Well, one of the things that I really recommend is to uh, have a moderator that knows how to run a good meeting 
and the uh, moderator can't be promoting an issue or having enough power to steer the decisions in in, uh, his or her way. Sometimes the owner operator, the one with the one with the gold makes the rules and, and the meetings aren't really meetings because nobody really wants to challenge them. But if the moderator is someone who knows how to run a good meeting and to, to draw everyone out, to, uh, to make sure that everybody can tr- contributes to uh, shut down some of the more talkative ones that have made their points already, how to, how to bring a discussion to a close, how to, how to have a decision come out of a, a meeting that everybody can live with or, or on a trial basis or to table a, an issue and do more research. And you have a, an efficient meeting where people can speak the truth and their opinion and, and something gets done in the meeting. And I think that uh, there might be a daughter-in-law or, or someone in the family that's really good at taking everybody's perspective and caring about everybody in the room is the one to run the meeting. And, and, and if they have a lot of emotion or, or vested interest in the decisions going their way, that's the person that shouldn't be running the meeting. And so there's a lot of, lot of ways to make sure that the best business decision comes out of those meetings. And a lot of families try family business meetings and they end up with some conflict. They it, it kind of hurts the family to be in those meetings and have bad feelings come out of the meetings. And then they stop having the meetings. And they don't have a, a system of organization or, or uh, decision making that really, really helps them, especially during hard times. So the meeting is a, is a key element in making sure the, the business decisions are the best decisions. Yeah, I'll, I wish I could do a better job of referencing this, but a friend of mine, Clay Connery, he has the Working Cows podcast, and he he talked a little bit about these sorts of meetings that take place. And to take it another step further from what you were talking about, he says that we should all put a different hats on when we're uh, making decisions. We should put our hat, our our emotional hats on, our business hats on, our worry hats on. I wish I could remember all the things he was talking about, all the different hats that you uh-huh. must wear. But, uh, you know, so yes, you know, and I don't necessarily think feelings can go all the way out of it because I think there is a certain sentimental value that goes into farm decisions, but it can't be the only thing we think of. We have to think of things from a business perspective, too. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of hard, you know, and I really do think that that is where where farming and ranching are peculiar and opposed to a different industry in that there is so much legacy and so much history tied up into the operations that it's really, really difficult to, to separate the, the business from the, from the feelings. Well, I, I think the, when I talked about a business meeting, it doesn't need to be without emotion. And the art of being a, a moderator is to allow a certain amount of emotion and, and uh, tenacity or, or uh, someone with a different perspective to really, really be able to say what they need to say, and it may not be pleasant, or uh, and and you don't avoid conflict. Conflict is a, a, a conflict makes for a better business. It's how conflict is managed, and the ground rules of the meeting are, are part of the reason why meetings work. That they 
They can't be disrespectful to one another or use uh, profanity or or tear down the, the self-esteem of anybody in the room. And so the moderator enforces some of the basic ground rules, but but he also lets people be uh, emotional or, or, or vent their strong feelings so everybody knows what's at stake. And and, sure. and, and people need some time then to, to think about what has been said, and they can visit with each other in between meetings to, to kind of work an issue through uh, outside of the meeting. Uh, so it's, it, I don't want to communicate the idea that a meeting is sterile and has no no emotion. It's- no, no, it, it's you're right. It absolutely should have emotion because, you know, emotion is is a part of of a business and is a part of decision making. But I think a lot of times where people go wrong is they rely too heavily on those emotions and those feelings and leave the the business part out of it. The the you know the fiscal part out of it. I guess is what mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. So. I want to go a different way just for a little bit. And something you've talked about in some of your articles and in your books, you talk about people on the farm getting a town job, taking a job in town to pay some bills or, you know, just to have extra income when, when things are tough. And and even just like myself, you know, I run a cow-calf operation, but I also work a full-time 40-hour-a-week job at a hospital. So I want you to speak about that to folks on two different levels. One, when is it right for some for a member of the family, a member of the farm, to go take a town job? That's one part of it. But another part of it is, and this is something I'm just going to be able to head and open up about myself, and there are times where I do feel guilty that I do have a town job and wish I could be on the farm more. So I just I'm interested to hear your perspective on on both sides of that discussion. Well, I that's uh, you've opened up a, a something that's a complicated issue. Um, I think um, people that that are their their heart is in farming and they're they're full time farmers uh, and they have more control in that environment. Uh, they they have more control over their time and and so forth. Um, they they love it more, I guess, and but it, the additional skills and the additional income that you have and working a full-time job or a part-time job really produces the cushion that people need to get through hard times and they can manage their lives better. So that the uh, the second source of income is uh, is uh, really valuable, uh, and uh, it's the part-time farmer that's not making enough and their finances are going downhill and they're working as hard as they can on the farm. They want to, they want to be full-time farmers and, and, and their off farm job is, doesn't fit well with farming and they're fighting a losing financial game. That's where the stress issue really gets to people. And they're the children that grow up in that atmosphere don't want to be farmers. They see what the, the stress level is, doing to their parents and the, and the marriage and everything is pressure, pressure, pressure. And, and, the, and the farmers are working all the time. And it's not the, the dream that everybody wants it to be. So there's some hard decisions to be made uh, when you're in that situation. It, uh, maybe it depends on if you have something that 
that blends with farming and you have a farming operation that you can can uh, manage uh, on a part-time basis, then it, I think that's a good thing. And also you need, when you have that kind of a lifestyle, you need to, to build in the recreation and the family time and the nurturing time for relationships and, and have, have a balance to your life. And so if you're working a full-time job and then you have a, a farm or a ranch that's really taxing you, uh, that's, that's making your time management even more crucial that you care about the, the downtime and making that special or combining work and, and fun. I think there's a lot of farmers that, and, and spouses that manage that, that they somehow keep a lighthearted atmosphere and, and they don't let the, the pressures of life uh, get them down. And also I, I heard uh, some real good advice once upon a time, a long time ago, about how some farmers, when they're returning from their off-farm work and they have the stressors of the day in that environment, that they they reach a, a certain point uh, before they get to the farmhouse and they they come in and they give their best greeting and they and they they want to be at their best at that time instead of coming home with uh, down in the mouth and angry or frustrated and creating a down atmosphere and people can really work hard at making their greeting behavior wonderful and and resetting the atmosphere for themselves once they're home again and and, and then shift into a, a work mode uh, once you've established the fact that you're a couple and a family and you're working together so there's some some little uh, I don't I wouldn't say tricks but things you can do to change your mood or set your mood in order to to deal with all of the work that's involved. You know, like I said, I, I have a job. I work I work 40 hours a week in town. And there for a while, I would come home and I, I would see the farm as just another burden there for a while. But when you change your attitude and you change, you, you realize that even though it's, it's a different lifestyle, it's a hard lifestyle, you can't help if you really sit down and think about it, but be appreciative that you in some way are helping feed the world. You know, you're raising something that, that is going to help feed people. You can't help, no matter how hard things are, you can't help but but find some satisfaction, or at least I can't help but find some satisfaction in that. And, uh, you know, I, I think if people were to kind of look at it from that perspective more, they would kind of feel the same way. I think that um, why you do things, and, and if you're united as a, as a marriage and a partnership uh, in your purposes, then you can get through anything that's especially hard because you're still working for the same purpose. But if you're, if you're divided in your purpose or if you're not clear about what you're doing or why you're doing it, then the whole thing is tedious and stressful. Uh, I mean, more stressful. And so if you know you're going through tough times, you cut each other some slack and you program in some downtime and you and you keep your perspective somehow during these downtimes. Uh, during the Depression, uh, one woman uh, talked about how she deliberately took a long cup of coffee and then went outside and, and looked at nature for a while and and, and enjoyed the morning and focused in on the minutiae of life instead of looking at big problems that aren't quite solvable yet. 
And so appreciating what's around you and building in that uh, fun or appreciation, even though the big problems aren't solved, you're, you're, you're kind of cushioning the blow by how you, how you uh, appreciate other things in life on a, uh, more on a temporary basis than a, than a daily routine. So one one other thing I want to I want to talk about is and I didn't plan on asking about this but it kind of came to me while we were while we were here talking is uh how can a relationship with with a church with a religion you know I think the vast majority of of farmers especially in America are are Christians how can that help us get through these tough times I mean other than the obvious I understand that you're a man of faith such as I am. You know, how can that comfort of of a higher power get us through these tough times? How, you know, that's that's something we we talk about often, but um I don't think we really examine the the true benefits of it. I well I c- couldn't agree with you more. I think that uh there's probably a lot of things that uh help during times of crisis uh a sense of humor and and um, I mentioned purpose, but a partnership with your uh, and, a, and a good communication. But having faith in God and trusting in God and and knowing that His purposes for us and 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 for your you in particular, me in particular, are good and positive, and that uh, that life has its meaning to it, and and the meaning of life is not to have everything be cushy and comfortable and a a pleasure that we're supposed to learn and grow and experience things and and having a perspective that uh, life is is uh, something that you learn from and you improve on and and that it's kind of a a test of our ability to to care about important things and to learn to care about what God cares about and if we feel that that we're living right, then then that gives us an extra buffer when stressful times comes. That um, that we we are doing our part, and we know that we're loved and cared for by uh, divine uh, beings, and and that uh, in the long term things are going to work out. And and that extra faith, and we don't know exactly what our trials are going to be, but everybody's trials are different, and and everybody's going to have them. So keeping your faith strong and associating with others that have strong faith really, and, and it, it also gives you a bridge of communication with other people that have faith that you can together survive this and that there are more important things than just the uh, the farm or the checkbook or the bank account or or what neighbors think. It, 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 you're You're not playing in that game anymore. You're caring about what what you learn about what God cares about. And, and that, that makes a big difference on whether your mood is, is uh, set in a, a sour, discouraged, despairing direction, or whether you continue to keep a, a ray of optimism and hope about this is all for a purpose and that we're learning and growing and, and that we will come out on the other side better people. So... I think people with religious faith uh, have an extra buffer for stressful times, that's for sure. Probably doesn't get talked about enough in our society now. Uh, the uh, society is pretty secular, and, and it's uh, 
hard to have a, a good religious discussion about what religion does in our lives when uh, some some people are offended by that type of perspective. No, I totally I totally agree with that in that it's not talked about enough because and it it's such a it's such a powerful thing to know that you have a you know a higher power that cares about you and knows you like no one else knows you and you know if you can it, to know that you can be comforted by by that i don't know how how anybody honestly now that i live that life and now that i know that for myself i i don't know how anybody else gets by without it <laughs> you know because you know because what else is there mhm well if if people make something else uh, their god uh, that god is going to let them down sooner or later <laughs> And, uh, and and if, if financial uh, viability of the farm or, or pa- keeping the farm and the family or or wanting life to go the way you want it to go so you look good for your neighbors, uh, none of that's going to work all the time. And it'll be very devastating when you lose in that arena. But if, if you think that you're pleasing God and you're doing other things in your life that show you care about him, uh, you're not so worried about down times or, or, or know that there's special blessings that may come into your life that you may not have anticipated. Uh, I uh, read uh, uh, the st- account of the Von Trapp family singers, and, and they had an older son that went off went, during some down times in their family, and he went off to work, and, and then he, they were regretting or feeling his absence, but but they were hearing letters back to him. And, and then when the family needed help, this older son was helping them out. And he said, if we hadn't had these down t- times, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have learned what fine children we have, how we all pulled together, how we all cared about each other and how we got through it together. And the down times really brought that out and, and it solidified their love in the family because, because they, they all cut back together. They all not not in a farming sense but but in a survival sense of having a slightly different philosophy than the than the prevailing political environment they were in and and they even escaped together because they they knew that it that was their family needed that <laughs> yeah no um I always say, you know, I always say you learn a lot more from from the bad times than you do from the good times. And, you know, that goes for farming, for sports, for any sort of family dilemma. You know, you learn more about yourselves and you can you grow stronger from the bad times um, because that's when you really find out about yourself. So, um, Val, we're running just a little bit short on time here today. Um I guess the final question I have is, and we talked about this previously in a different episode, and how do we separate our identity from the farm? How do we realize that the farm is a part of us, but is not the only part of us? How do we understand that, you know, there's more to us than just than just the farm? Well, I think it helps in the parenting of children to raise them with the attitude that they can explore and develop themselves and that they have time for for talents and friendships and hobbies and that go beyond the farm and if the the farm is 
is the emotional center of, of the parents' lives, then then the children may be inclined to uh, to want that for themselves and and not equip themselves with the other perspectives on life and and how how broad and exciting and wonderful other ways of living could be and and when they when people grow up and they choose farming but they also are choosing it because they have experienced other things and they they have success in other environments and and they understand what farming has to offer but they also understand the other things in life that they need to bring to the table I think some of the um, emphasis that has changed over the years is that uh, women are expecting more in terms of partnership and nurturing and recreation, and that the farm the farm has to fit into a holistic family lifestyle. And when people experience that growing up, or when they when they marry someone that wants that, then you can learn a whole new perspective on on how else life can be lived. And, and then you have to have the courage to go against the grain if you're in a family operation and say, this, this is how I'm going to contribute and I can actually do better work and, and contribute better if I have this amount of time and you negotiate your vacations and, and you show that farming can be uh, more than a, I mean, different than a 24-7 or a 365-day-a-year thing uh, that there's times and places when the farm comes first and there's times and places when everything else should come first or the, or the most important things come first and that that could be recreation or spiritual activity or service to others or time for friendships uh, there's there's a whole lot to life and you need uh, friends and a sounding board and you need them perhaps you can use them in the community, but it's also good to have a couple of people that really know you and care about you outside of the community so you can talk over conflict issues and get feedback from others where it isn't in the local uh, community gossip circle. <laughs> uh, so right. yeah, there's, there's a uh... lot of ways. I don't know how, how people actually make a change from being a, a workaholic-driven, stressed-out farmer to someone that that really understands how to live life better, sometimes it may take a, a type of a, a, a failure or a setback or something that really helps them ground themselves in, in better principles than than just uh, the occupation itself. Well, I was talking to my friend Clay Connery on his podcast, and he mentioned that he was sitting in on a gentleman's presentation one time where you know he put up and I think I talked to you about this before and he picked up put up a picture of his farm a red barn you know green fields beautiful and then he put up a picture of his of his family and you know asked which one is which one is your legacy and uh, you know I think a lot of people may think that the legacy is the farm but that's that's not true the legacy is the family and the life that you give them and uh, you know if you can give that to them through a farm and through a ranching operation, then great. But, you know, what the most important thing to serve is that family. So, uh, and I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more trend of that and see pe- more people who are involved. If, if that's the attitude they're going to have, 
you know, see a lot more people be more successful in farming because they're using it to serve their family and not their family to serve the farm. That's true. And I've written things like that, too. The the purpose of a farm is the happiness and well-being of the of the people on the farm. And 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 if the purpose of the farm is to employ the energy and motivations of everyone on the farm to make the farm successful, then the farm is driving the people, the farm is driving the farmer, and the farmer is driving his family, and there's not enough kindness, friendship, nurturing, and love happening on that farm if the farmer is coming first. Right. No, I, I, there's a time I, I don't know if I would have agreed with that, but I definitely agree with it now because I've seen how that change has affected my family. And, uh, the most important thing in the world is the happiness of, of your spouse and the happiness of your children. So mm-hmm. I think that's really what we're trying to get across here. So Val, I, again, I appreciate your time here today. I appreciate the knowledge that you're able to share with me and with the people listening. You're truly a, a wonderful resource for the ag community. And, uh, I, I again, want to thank you for your time here well, today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure being a part of something. I hope, I don't know, the extent of your podcast. I wish you well. And if you want to uh, visit again, I'm more than happy to, to be a part of what you're doing. Well, I, I'm i honored to have someone such as yourself so actively involved in this endeavor of mine because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, need, I need all the help and resources I can get. <laughs> okay. And so I sure appreciate it. Again, Val Farmer, thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, I wish you well. Well, thank you, Jason, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.